This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. For some of us, the sense of bewilderment, or rage, hits at the pump. For others, and this category includes me, it's when we receive a new phone bill featuring a mind-boggling raft of taxes, fees, and surcharges. But for all of us, the sense that the price we're paying for something in our lives is just unfair is one that we know all too well. But what makes a price unfair, as opposed to just higher than we'd like? And what does it actually even mean to have a price be unfair? Sarah Maxwell says that whether we think a price is fair or not is an emotional thing, not just a simple judgment of too high or too low. She's been looking at questions of fair pricing ever since her days working in marketing in the private sector. These days, Maxwell is an associate professor of marketing at Fordham and the co-director of the Fordham Pricing Center. She's also the author of the new book, The Price is Wrong, Understanding What Makes a Price Seem Fair and the True Cost of Unfair Pricing. That's out from Wiley. We're talking with Sarah Maxwell today on Fordham Conversations. A little later on the show today, we will take a look at one example of why pricing is so complex. But first, I spoke to Maxwell in our studios about the costs of things and why they hit us in the heart the way they do. Sarah Maxwell, welcome. Thank you. Now, tell me the story that you start this book with, and then tell me why you started the book with that story. I assume you're referring to the story of the people getting gasoline at the stations near me. There there are four stations that are very close together, right practically across the street from each other. And the one station always undercuts the other two by maybe two cents a gallon. And that station has cars lined up into the street people are waiting to save what what amounts to, well, if you got 20 gallons, you'd be saving, what, uh, 40 cents? And you're waiting 10 minutes, maybe, to get the gasoline? And that is uh, because people are mad. They're mad the gasoline prices are so high. Tell me more about this. Why Why would you, first of all, be so mad that gas prices were high? And second of all, why would you waste your time to save so little money? <laughs> They're mad because it's not what they expect. And when it went over $3, that that really was a threshold, and they noticed how high they were. And they're also mad because the oil companies are making outrageous profits. The head of the president of the oil company makes over $140,000 a day. The oil companies charge different prices in different areas, so everyone isn't paying the same amount. They're, they're mad about all these things, and so they're getting back the only way they can get back, and that is by showing how angry they are by going to the low price. Why did you start the book with this story? Why is this something that, that seemed like emblematic of what you're trying to talk about here? Well, because it shows both sides of fairness. One is just the fairness of whether the price itself is cheap, and if the price is cheap, Uh, You usually don't even think any further. I mean, that's just fine. You go your merry way. Um, But if the price is higher than what you expect, then you begin thinking about all the other things. You think about how much you're paying for gasoline compared to what other people are paying or how much money the president is making. All these things suddenly become very salient, and uh, you start saying this is unfair, and you do whatever you can do to get back. 
Now, I think that we would all agree that many people find gas prices to be something that's kind of fundamentally unfair in some way. But tell me, in your estimation, what makes a price fair or unfair in general? What are the rules about this? There, there are two aspects to it. One is whether it's just personally fair to you yourself, which is whether it's cheap enough. And the other is whether it uh, adheres to the social norms of society, that we have all sorts of rules of our society, that this is the way things are supposed to be. And if they're not that way, then we say it's unfair, that equality, all men and women are created equal, and we like to pay the same price someone else pays. If someone else paying less, then we really get angry. (laughs) We also think we should get what we pay for, the whole idea of value, that that's considered fair. Uh, We do make adjustments for need. If someone's in need, it's okay for them to get a lower price. So we have food stamps, and we have discounts for elderly and children. You say that a fair price is one that is emotionally okay for consumers. What, what does that mean? You have to have an emotional component to make a decision. This, this is something that was shown by a psychologist, and I find it fascinating, that they had a, a patient who had the emotional part of the brain somehow damaged, and they gave the patient uh, two days to come back for the next visit. The patient couldn't make up his mind because he didn't have any emotions to say, this is good, this is bad, I like this, uh, this is what I should be doing, that we need this sort of emotional push. And when a price is fair, it just gives us that little extra push that this is an okay thing. And when it's unfair, it gives us a huge emotional push that this is not good. So why do we have such a strong reaction about prices? Because I know that when I'm shopping and I feel like I've gotten a good price on something, it's immensely satisfying. But if I feel like I've been overcharged, I get really mad. It's very, very basic. It goes back to they did a study of uh, monkeys. They had two monkeys, and they were in cages right next to each other so they could see each other. And they taught them to use tokens like money. And so they bought food. And they really liked grapes, so grapes cost two tokens. They didn't like celery as much, so that only cost one token. Well, one day, they gave one of the monkeys a grape, and she didn't have to pay for it. And the other monkey was furious. The other monkey took everything in her cage, threw it at the handlers, sulked, this is a very basic thing. Wow. So even even among monkeys, not getting a uh, good price is, is a pretty severe thing. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So what do most people think is a fair way to determine a price? The, the common way which is accepted is when a price is based on the cost. But this itself is also changing, which I find very interesting, that I did a focus group recently with MBA students And they would not accept the fact that a price had increased because the cost had increased. That in this day and age, you're supposed to control your suppliers. It's your problem. If your costs go up, then find some other way to bring them down. That's not my problem. Wow. So sort of a Walmart effect then. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about our real lives. Are, Are we paying now more for things than we used to, you know, relative to our incomes and relative to inflation and stuff. And is that fair? And what things are we paying too much for? 
certainly we, we've all seen the increase in houses go up, and that now seems to be coming down. I think what we don't appreciate is how much cheaper food got, although that's starting to go up a little bit. And certainly all the electronics are amazingly cheap. That uh, I don't think we appreciate how cheap many of our things are. Our, our gasoline is cheap. Compare our gasoline to Europe. It's what half as much. I mean, it's 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 a real bargain. Our postage stamps are are a real bargain. It's it's a relatively cheap living here. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV ninety point seven and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. My guest on the show today is Sarah Maxwell. Maxwell is an associate professor of marketing at Fordham, and she is the co-director of the Fordham Pricing Center. She's also the author of the new book, The Price is Wrong, that's out from Wiley. In a few minutes, we'll learn a little bit more about how our efforts to be greener in our fuel choices might be driving up the costs of food. But first, let's continue with our conversation. In the book, you talk about things a few specific things that seem to be priced unfairly. I'd love to talk about these individually, and also then maybe we can talk about some things that people think are priced fairly. Um, The first unfair thing is gas, which we've already talked about a little, but let's talk a little bit about how gas is priced and why it makes people so mad. I I think all along the line, people get mad. Uh, The fact that OPEC has control, the, the whole bit of power that if the seller has too much power, that's considered unfair because then they're in a position to take advantage of you, and we don't like that. And the fact that they have zone pricing, so they charge different amounts for the same gas in different zones. And zones are like different areas of cities? Uh, or uh, Different areas, yeah. Uh, and then you have hot gas, which is uh, in the summer, of course, gasoline expands. So you're getting less gas for your money. Wow, I never thought about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I know that I, I am inclined also to some degree to take it out on my local gas station and feel like they're gouging me. I I don't think the local gas station is the one really to be blamed. I think they're probably suffering as much as everyone else is suffering. So what would you do about this if you were the god of gas? <laughs> well, there have been some illegal things taken. Like after um, Hurricane Katrina, that uh, several states put laws in saying that you couldn't up the price of gasoline when, when there is a natural disaster. So th- that, that is something that, that is being done. How else do you complain? Uh, it's amazing how many thousands of complaints come in about gas prices. Gas prices, insurance prices, pharmaceutical prices. These These are all unfair prices. Let's talk about printer ink. (laughs) Printer ink is basically unfair because it's what's called razor blade pricing, that you buy the razor and it's really cheap, but then when you buy the blades, you're charged an arm and a leg. And it's the same thing. You get printers really cheap, but then when you go buy the the, uh, ink, it costs a fortune. And I think it's interesting that Kodak has now come out with a printer that the ink is like half the price. So you're paying a little bit more for the printer, but you're paying much less for the ink. Printer ink is, yeah, it's one of my favorites because we go through a lot of that in my house. 
But I think in my particular experience, the bill that makes me the angriest every month is my cell phone bill because it is huge and it gets seems to get bigger all the time and I don't understand any of what's in it. That that is the biggest problem, and and I do um, I I go and address a uh, mobile phone conference every year, and they're very much aware of this, and they don't know quite how to dig themselves out of it because now that they're all doing it, if one of them starts advertising the true price of what you're going to have to pay, then it'll look as though they're much more expensive than everyone else. But they they have all sorts of sneaky ways of getting money, which is uh, very unfortunate. Well, I, I, think, I think it's something we're going to see more and more of. I think in this recessionary time, we're going to see a lot of sellers who are really forced into doing sneaky things in order to keep making the profits that they've become accustomed to, which I think is very unfortunate. Yeah, you sound more sympathetic toward these sellers than I think that I would be because I don't think that I would say unfortunate in that scenario, and I don't think I would say that they were being forced into doing sneaky things. I would think maybe rather than unfortunate, I might say, I don't know, extortionate. But uh, the cell phone thing is, I think, sort of a good example of something that you talk about some and that I've certainly noticed, which is just that as a consumer... I often feel this general just sense of, of powerlessness. How, what, what can we do about that? The whole, the whole business of power is very important in fairness. Um, when you feel powerless, then, then you're really sensitized to the whole thing of, of whether the price is fair. If, if you think of students' textbooks, this, this is a really hot issue because they feel stuck. They have to buy them. So they feel as though the price is really unfair because they're forced into doing it. So that's a, 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 a big concern. Um, in this day and age, the consumer does have more power than they've ever had. The consumer knows more. They have more information. They, they have more clout. The seller is the one who is really in, in the worst position. But still, consumers don't feel an awful lot of power. Yeah, I can't say that I would hear that statement and just agree with it, you know, without, without I, questioning it. I, I did some focus groups, and I was amazed at, at how powerless they felt. They just felt as though they, they were just under it. Well, what are some of the things that make consumers feel so powerless? I think part of it is the fact that they just don't have control of their budgets. They're so busy. They're working so hard. They really don't know where their money is going. So I think the fact that a lot of people are now going back to cash and you have so much cash to spend in the week and when it's gone, it's gone, This, uh, as opposed to just spending credit cards. So I think uh, getting control of it gives people power. One thing that I think about is when I have been charged a price that I think is unfair or that I feel, you know, is is not the agreed upon price, I will try to, say, call and I'll be put through to a call center and basically I'll be on the phone, I'll be on hold for, you know, 40 minutes and ultimately nothing will result from this. Is there, was there a feeling among the people that you talked to that um, one of the things that made prices seem so unfair was that they didn't feel they had any recourse for unfair prices? Oh, absolutely. And the mobile phone people, that's, that came up. The fact that their bill was not right and then when they would go complain about it, they couldn't get through to anyone. This, this is basically infuriating. 
That's something that companies could do a much better job on. So why is all this happening? <laughs> I, I don't think this is new, I hate to tell you. I think this has been going on for a very long time. Price is what the one person gets, the other person gives up. What, what the seller gets, the buyer gives up, and vice versa. So it's going to be an antagonistic uh, relationship, no matter what you do about it. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. A little later this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, George talks with author Adam Langer about his new book, Ellington Boulevard, a novel in A-flat. That's ahead at 7.30. We're talking on Fordham Conversations today about fair pricing. My guest is Sarah Maxwell. I asked Maxwell whether the Internet has made prices more or less fair. It hasn't changed it as much as people thought. They had thought that it would make all the prices get to the lowest common denominator, and uh, that has not happened. That it's uh, the dispersion of prices, the range of different prices on the Internet, are as great as they are in stores. I have to say I'm shocked when I look to buy something on Amazon and I see that it's available from Amazon for $30 and then it's available new from some other seller for $20. And I think, you know, haven't you two seen what the other is charging? Yes. But but people, even even when they get the information on the Internet as to the different prices, they don't go to the lowest price. They go to the store they trust. That trust is becoming, or then again, I think trust has always been a big consideration about where you buy because you want to you want to trust a seller that's good they're going to be fair what do you look for when you as a price analyst what do you look for when you're shopping on the internet what are the things that make you likely to buy from one seller rather than another i i tend to go to the same ones all the time if they treat you fairly that builds trust and if you have trust then if there's a problem you give them the benefit of the doubt so the two sort of snowball that fairness leads to trust, and trust leads to fairness. Um, we talked about this a little, but I was curious about it. What are some of the things that we in America pay for that people from other countries would find completely bizarre? <laughs> well, I think the thing that, that we hear the most from foreign visitors is adding the tax on top, that they have their tax included. So they, they don't think of it as an extra cost. So that, that really surprises them. What about tipping? Oh, tipping. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a can of worms, tipping. Tipping is, is fascinating because it, when it was first introduced in the United States, which was about the turn of the 1900s, it was, people were outraged that this was a master-servant relationship and they didn't like it at all. They thought this was very bad, and many uh, states outlawed it. Some guy even wrote a book about how awful tipping was. <laughs> and then we, we got it from England or from Europe, and then Europe included the tips in the bill so they didn't have tips, and yet tipping has become the absolute social norm here. And you ask people, and they like tipping. What do people like about tipping? They The people who pay it like it because... It gives them a sense of power, that they have some control, even though they don't use it. They, they don't use it to punish or to promote good service as much as you'd think, that they, they might leave, you know, $2 instead of 
$3, but they don't, they don't walk out and not leave anything. Reading about all of this, I have to say there is, there's some element of it that kind of makes me feel a little bit like I'm getting scammed. Was it your intention to make people mad? <laughs> that's that's interesting. Did I make you mad or did I just uh, sensitize you to the fact that these things can happen? Uh, I, probably I hope, the latter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope so. I, I didn't really intend to make people mad, but I, I did want them to be aware of how these things work and uh, uh, so they can protect themselves against it. I mean, some things like the, the back-end pricing on cars where they slip in an extra payment in your monthly bills, this, this, is, this is terrible. But by the time you've gotten to that point, you're not paying any attention to the price. You think you've worked out the price when, when you negotiated what the sale price was. You didn't think about what the monthly price was. So what are some of the most sort of surprising examples of pricing that you came across in the course of looking at this book or of writing this book? I still keep coming back to the airline prices because I did my dissertation on the airline prices, on the price fairness of them. And the fact that they just don't make any sense. I think one of the things about fairness is that it makes sense. If prices are different in different places, we accept it if there's some reason, if there's a legitimate reason. Airline prices, there's just no rhyme or reason. You, you, can't, you can't figure it out. You can't play the game because you don't know what the game is. So yeah. the, the shadowy cabal of price setters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what are your recommendations for making pricing fairer in the U.S.? Uh, I, I think pricing in the United States is, is fair enough. It's, um, we have unfairness, but I think that's just something we're going to live with. I think we've always had unfairness. And uh, we just have to be aware of it and not be taken in by it. But um, I certainly don't, I do not think that we should have laws. That's not true. I think we should have laws for really difficult pricing considerations. But that doesn't mean that laws are the, necessarily the answer to all of the problems. You can have laws like bait and switch that you're not allowed to do. You can have laws that if you put something on sale and you say this is a special sale price, it has to have been at a higher price for a certain amount of time. That You, you can have laws for this, but you can't have laws for everything. And I think, I think the fact that we have the as fair a system as we have makes the whole economy, it's, it's the glue of the economy. Uh, some places like China, when, when they tried to do a, like an eBay in China, it just, it's not working. About 50% of the sellers and 80% of the buyers complained because basic things like you get what you pay for is just, just not necessarily the social norm there. That uh, we, our, our system works remarkably well. So basically, watch out for yourself. <laughs> watch out for yourself and, and be aware that, that uh, you know, there are things buyers can be doing that, um, and have to do to protect themselves because sellers are going to do what they're going to do. 
because it's a naturally adversarial relationship. Yep, I'm afraid so. Well, let the buyer beware. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the book is The Price is Wrong, Understanding What Makes a Price Seem Fair and the True Cost of Unfair Pricing. And the author is Sarah Maxwell, who is an associate professor of marketing at Fordham. Sarah Maxwell, thanks so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. More information about The Price is Wrong can be found at thepriceiswrong.org. You're listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. One of the most mysterious things about pricing is how the price of one thing can affect the price of a whole host of others. We close the show today with a look at one example of this. As many drivers look to reduce oil dependence by turning to ethanol, ethanol might be pushing up other prices. From the Environment Report, Rebecca Williams has this story on how ethanol could mean higher prices at the supermarket. Everything in your classic American meal has one thing in common. The burger, chips, soda, even the ketchup. They all depend on corn. Cows eat corn. Chips have corn oil in them. And your soda and ketchup have high fructose corn syrup as a main ingredient. Supermarkets are loaded with food that has something to do with corn. And lately, corn's been near its highest price in 10 years. The price has nearly doubled. Everyone from livestock producers to beverage companies has been feeling the squeeze of more expensive corn. And that's been starting to show up at the grocery store. The U.S. Department of Agriculture predicts our food is going to get more expensive this year, and maybe for many years to come. Ephraim Liebtag is a USDA economist. He says we'll probably be paying between 25 and 3.5% more this year at the store. That's on average for your food bill, for overall food prices. So if you're buying uh, an average basket of products, you know, and you're spending $100 when you go to the store, now you'll be spending about $103. Uh, But you will see it first in those products most related to corn. Um, In addition, you'll see some after effects because if more corn is produced, that may drive up prices of other commodities if the trade-off in land is between, let's say, corn and other potential farm products. So if farmers plant more corn for ethanol instead of soybeans... That will drive up the price of soybeans, and in turn, the food that's made from them. It turns out that's exactly what farmers are planning to do this year. A recent USDA report says farmers will be planting 12 million more acres of corn than last year, and less soybeans and rice. Liebtag says high corn prices have been great for corn farmers, but he says it's been rough on a lot of other people. If you use corn as a main ingredient, you've already noticed your costs go up quite a bit. Some companies have explored the possibility of substituting or using other products, but certainly producers, livestock and poultry as well, have higher feed costs. They have to think about exactly how they're going to produce a product when one of their inputs goes up 20, 30, 50, 80 percent in price. Ethanol backers say it's just a matter of time before the market will adjust to more expensive corn. Bob Deneen is the president of the Renewable Fuels Association. Corn prices are indeed going up. Our own industry is paying more for the feedstock for ethanol uh, today. But at the end of the day, as the marketplace adjusts, we will be able to grow more than sufficient grain to satisfy the country's demand for food, fuel, and fiber. uh, And rural America will be the better for it. But others argue it won't be possible to have it all forever. Lester Brown is the president of the Earth Policy Institute. Usually in the past, rises in food prices come when we have 
uh, a poor harvest somewhere in the world as a result of weather. And and therefore, it's temporary. It, it usually lasts a year or so, and then uh, weather comes back to normal, and, uh, and we get a good harvest again. What we're looking at now is continuous uh, pressure on prices um, as far as we can comfortably see in the future, simply because in agricultural terms, the demand for automotive fuel is insatiable. Brown says we're at risk of trading food for ethanol fuel. And he says it's not just going to impact food prices in the U.S. It's also going to affect food supplies worldwide, especially in developing countries. The biggest effects are actually hitting people in other countries who consume corn directly, like Mexico, for example, which has a a corn-based diet. Um, And there, the price of tortillas has gone up about 60%. Brown says many U.S. politicians have what he calls ethanol euphoria. He's called for a moratorium on licensing new ethanol plants. He wants the government to think about whether it makes sense to keep subsidizing ethanol made from corn. Many people, even some in the ethanol industry, say ethanol from corn is a limited solution. So researchers are looking for ways to make ethanol from other sources, such as woody plants like switchgrass. In the meantime, ethanol from corn is still the most viable option. Economists say if corn gets diverted into ethanol on a large scale, that might mean we'll all be paying higher food prices for the next several years. For the Environment Report, I'm Rebecca Williams. The Environment Report is a production of Michigan Radio. Support comes from the Joyce Foundation, the George Gunn Foundation, and the USDA's Cooperative Extension Service. Has something to say about the Environment Report? Send email to feedback at environmentreport.org. From WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org, this has been Fordham Conversations. The show is available as a podcast at WFUV.org, and it's in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us. Our address is Fordham Conversations at WFUV.org, and we would, of course, love to hear from you. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thanks for listening, and have a fabulous weekend.